Hello, everybody. Welcome once again as we continue on in our study through the Old Testament. Um, we are continuing on. We're in Genesis 33. We're working through the entire Old Testament a chapter at a time. This follows our five years through the New Testament, which we completed. And everybody said, oh, you'll never make it. And we did. And now we started 15 years for the Old Testament. And so we're going to do it all over again. Just three times as long as the last time, but that's good. So uh, uh, that's all. You know, it's funny to think if you think out 14 and a half years. I mean, I know we live every day, right? And I'm not, but it's kind of funny thing. We were in a meeting the other day and we're, we were talking about projects that we need to do on the church. And over the next few years, we have three sort of big, because the building now is, is uh, just coming up on being 30 years old. We built it in 1987 and certain things are starting to, so like this, this next year, we're going to try and replace all the metal on the roof. And the following year, we're going to try and swap out the air conditioner because it's been around for a long time now with new AC. And then, and then the following year, I want to replace all the metal outside, which should set everything up for another 30-year run. And we were talking about it, and I said, I'll be 85 at that time. I won't care. Uh, <laughs> one more run, and then it'll be somebody else's deal. Uh, um, <laughs> not that I, I hope to still be here and doing stuff. I'm just not going to care about the building anymore. <laughs> nah, I don't care. There's a big hole in it. Yeah. <laughs> Put a tarp on it. I don't care. We'll let the kids deal with it. Anyway, so, uh, and the, the conversation was funny. Georgina was with me, and she was projecting out, I think, when I, when we, she'd be, I'll be like, I shouldn't tell you how old she'll be, but she'll be older. <laughs> yeah. I won't mention it. She won't be as old as me. <laughs> most, of, most of the staff won't be. And that's okay. Um... So anyway, 15 years, and I, my hope is every single one of you here is with me 15 years from now when we wrap this bad boy up, and, uh, and then we'll start the New Testament again, for those of you that missed it. Okay, you know, the importance of reading through Scripture like this, context, Genesis, um, is, is, it's an amazing uh, book, and I've said, you know, the things, that you're not going to remember everything in Genesis, no matter how many times you've studied it, there's always something that'll come new all the time, but, you know, my hope would be that at the end of Genesis, which will take us a year, there's 50 chapters, um, that, that you, will, you will be able to say with me and remember four main events, four main characters, and one sort of theme that kicks throughout the whole book, and so I bring them up every time as we get started. The four main events are the creation and the fall and the flood, and the Tower of Babel. Those all happen within the first 11 chapters of Genesis, and those are sort of the main things. Then, starting at Genesis 12 and moving on, there are four main characters. Um, not that there's not lots of other characters. There are, but the four main characters from that point are Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And, and they, they take us through the rest of the story. We've looked at Abraham already, um, Isaac, we've seen most of Isaac, although Isaac's still kicking at this point in time. You just don't hear from him much, but he's still hanging on there for, um, when, when he thought he was about done, he's run another 20 years. So that's pretty cool. Plus, um, we've watched Jacob's life as he's been gone traveling, and now he's coming back to deal with his brother Esau, and that's where we're at. And Joseph is, uh, has been born already, and he will become the major player here very shortly in pretty much the, through the rest of Genesis and what takes place. And then, um, so anyway, it's kind of, I think it's very interesting, I want you to remember. And then remember the main sort of theme we call the crimson thread of redemption, started in Genesis 3.15, and that will wind its way through the entire Old Testament until Jesus 
at the cross and the redemption that comes from him. And you will see um, this, this plan, uh, you know, God's movement, this threat of redemption, and you'll see the enemy attacking it throughout the Old Testament. And, uh, but you'll be aware of what's happening and how God, uh, you know, makes that work throughout the Old Testament. So that's what we're doing uh, and that's what we've been talking about. Now, um, just to get us uh, up on track, so last week was Genesis 32. Um, Jacob had wrestled with God, if you remember. He'd gone through a name change. Um, he changed his name from Jacob, which meant deceiver, to Israel, which means one who wrestles with God or has some other meanings that we talked about. But uh, he, this is a pretty significant encounter uh, in, in Jacob's life. And um, he's, he's now ready to meet Esau. Depending on how you interpret this chapter, he's either doing better or he's gone right back to his old tricks of deception. And uh, it, it could be some of both. Um, even though he's had a, because I, you know, I think about this all the time. So he's just had a major encounter with God himself. He's just seen God face to face. You would think that would have a pretty lasting impression on you. Uh, however, because uh, I always, in my mind, you ever think about when we, when, we, when we read about it in the future, when the, when the, Red, sea, when the Red Sea parts uh, for Moses, and the people go through it, and they get on the other side of it, and they start complaining almost immediately that, you know, God, why'd you bring us out here to kill us? And I used to think, I'd read that, and I'd say, they just saw the Red Sea part. You think that would keep you going for a little while. Like the next day, they're complaining about not having salt. You, you know what I mean? We were better off in captivity because we had salt. And I think, wow, that's really crazy. <laughs> they just seen, could you, and I, I believe it, it happened literally. The sea, it wasn't a reed sea that they, it, the sea parted, you know, and they walked through it and then it collapsed over Pharaoh's army and crushed them and they just seen it. And they're, they start complaining. I think, that, how could that ever happen? And then I realize all the time how you'll see, maybe you're not like me. I shouldn't, I shouldn't put it on all of you. I've seen God move in spectacular ways. And then almost immediately, it's like, oh, where are you now? And it's like, really? He just, oh, he just parted seas. So it's the same sort of situation. So here with Jacob, I think we can relate to it if we're honest. Um, he's just encountered God in a significant way, and now he's got to deal with his brother. And he kind of seems to rely a lot in his own strength again instead of really trusting in everything that had just happened with God. But you, t you might think he's doing great. It really depends how you read the scripture at this point but you know for me now the remember he came away from this encounter with God with a limp and and his limp now would be his strength that's that's what he needed to remember when he finally you know when he wrestled with God and he realized that he had to surrender completely and and that 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 God had conquered him at that moment and and he could trust the Lord to see him through he could quit trying to be so deceptive and scheming in every situation and just trust God and that the angel you know the angel army was with him don't forget that he'd seen the angel army that was with him in this process as he was going to meet with his brother Esau and, and yet, he's sort of still, some, he's going to stage some events to keep this whole sort of thing he's got going on. And you'll watch him kind of, he sends his family over in waves. And, uh, and then he, he doesn't let Esau see his limp. And I, I wonder about that because I have this thought that if he'd, have, if he'd have let Esau in onto what had just happened in the encounter with God, what an opportunity that would have been for him to tell Esau about what God had been doing in his life all these years. And, and what God had just done in that encounter. And, and, uh, 
And, and see, he had sort of this opening because you'll see that, that as Esau sees Jacob, Esau comes running to Jacob and he grabs him and he hugs him and he's, he's weeping. And it's obvious that Esau's over this 20-year period, had a major change in his life and in his heart. And it would seem to me this was a, an open door for Jacob to begin to talk about all that God had been doing, doing in the process. And he, you know, he, like I said, he had God's angel army all around him. He didn't need to be afraid of Esau, but... He, uh, he really kind of just sort of spends his time begging Esau to accept the gifts that he's provided for him. And, and you, you can kind of think if you think that's him scheming again and relying on his own resource or if that was what should have been appropriate. And, uh, and he says something fascinating in verse 10. He says, seeing you, Esau, is like seeing the face of God. And he had just seen the face of God. And you would almost think that would be like the perfect line to then go ahead and tell him, seeing you is like seeing the face of God. And let me tell you, what happened to me last night? I saw the face of God. Don't you think that might be a good... But he didn't go there. But that's just, you know, that's just what I'm thinking about. So it depends how you read it. Either he's doing great or he's kind of moving to his old tricks. But as I read through Genesis 33, you, you kind of ponder it and you see where you think he's ending up. So I'm, being, I'm going to start in verse 1. 20 verses, not a real long chapter tonight. And uh, just a few points on the other side. We'll go from there. Genesis 33, beginning in verse 1. I'm reading out of the NIV. I actually read out of a little older version of the NIV than will be on the screen. So I, I should always, if you see something different, it's because I, I like the older version of the NIV and they changed it and I, I, I've steadfastly refused. But... Uh, much to the consternation of everybody that does the media, but there you go. Um, but the books in the pew, the Bibles in the pews, are most of them are the old ones still, so there you go. <laughs> I'm just stubborn that way. Uh, beginning in verse 1, you, whatever translation you want to read is fine. Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. He put the maidservants and their children in front. Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around him, his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you, he asked. Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the maidservants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Esau asked, what do you mean by all these droves I met? To find favor in your eyes, my lord. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob, if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God, now that you have received me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you, for God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Then Esau said, let us be on our way. I'll accompany you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are tender and that I must care for the ewes and cows that are nursing their young. If they are driven hard just one day, all the animals will die. So let my Lord go on ahead of his servant while I move along slowly the pace of the droves before me and that of the children until I come to my Lord and see here. Esau said, then let me leave some of my men with you. But why would you do that? Jacob asked. Just let me find favor in the eyes of my Lord. So that day Esau started on his way back to Seir. Jacob, however, went to Succoth, uh, Sukkoth, pardon me, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. That is why the place is called Sukkoth. 
After Jacob came from Padam Aran, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan and camped within sight of the city. For a hundred pieces of silver he brought from the sons of he bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. There he set up an altar and called it El Eloi Israel. Uh, and blessed be the word of the Lord. So, kind of an interesting thing uh, in what's going on here. And uh, there we go. So, some interesting things I think that happen in that whole process. First off, um, there's something about the way he staged his families. And you, you know who he kept in the back? Was Rachel and Joseph. You know why? They were his favorites. And he made no bones about it. And later on, when we start reading about Joseph, you're going to wonder why the brothers hate him. Because his brothers do not like Joseph. Now, Joseph doesn't help himself either. He's going to say in this dream, you know, <laughs> I'm the son and you guys are the, you guys are the, the little <laughs> things bowing down to me in the process. And he's like the younger one, you know. So um, he doesn't help his case any. But he's been set up as well because he's obviously Jacob's favorite. And they don't care for that in the process. So that's going on there. Um, and then uh, he comes and he bows down seven times, um, which was a sign of respect, usually given to a king. So now you've got, remember their order's been switched. The blessing has gone to uh, Jacob. It should be Jacob that's, obviously the, 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 you know, sort of in that position, but he is um, yielding. And so why is he yielding? Is it because he's deceiving again or is it really sincere? He's trying to be honoring. That's the whole issue. Or, you know, maybe he's just taking precautions to dispel, you know, uh, any thoughts of revenge, uh, you know, that, that Esau might think is or whatever's going on. So he bows seven times, a big sign of respect. Esau greets his brother with his, with his great big hug, and I think he must have been amazed, Jacob must have been amazed to see Esau's change of heart when the two brothers met again. Uh, and uh, obviously Esau was no longer bitter about losing his birthright and blessing, and instead he had become content with what he had. Now, I think that might be one of the biggest lessons in the text. Um, uh, life sometimes... Is difficult. Would you all agree with me? Um, and we can have situations that happen that can leave us bitter. Um, people will disappoint us. Uh, things can happen. You know, we could feel like we've been, you know, uh, cheated. Um, and and there's a lot of opportunities for that to happen in life. Remember, we live in a broken world, fallen planet. Um, nobody's perfect. Um, people make all sorts of decisions and sometimes, you know, the, the consequences of them bother us and affect us. Um, and, and so we have an opportunity. And, and Esau, you know, you saw what happened to him. He had his birthright stolen uh, and, and uh, the, you know, and the, and the blessing as well taken away. So he'd, he'd lost big time. He had, and he wanted to kill Jacob at the time. He had every reason to remain uh, unhappy with his brother. And yet he'd obviously gotten over it. It took him a while, I'm sure, but he'd gotten over it. And I think that what we need to understand is that we all have that same opportunity to move past bitterness. And, and what we have to do and what God encourages us to do is forgive people that have wronged us and then learn to be content with what we have. 
it's a much better place to live and it's a much better way to live and we sort of get into that process. Now, whenever I talk about forgiving people that have wronged us, I always feel like I want to add to it this. Because when people, in many instances, when people are, will get to, okay, yeah, I get forgiveness, but to a point, there's no way I'm going to forgive so-and-so for what they've done to me. There's just no way. That's never going to happen. I, and I get, I get some things that have happened in the process. But that statement usually is a misunderstanding of forgiveness. Forgiveness is really just taking and, and saying, uh, you know, between you and, it's really you and God, that, that you're no longer going to hold that person um, in, in your own strength, um, in, in that spot. You're going to let God deal with them, and that's what forgiveness means. God, I'm just turning them over to you, and as far as I know how now, I'm going to forgive them and let that go, and let you have it, and let you deal with it. Um, but what forgiveness doesn't mean is that you immediately go to trust that person again. There's a difference. You, you may never develop a trust for that person again. That doesn't mean you're not forgiving. It just means, okay, I'm, I'm going to forgive, but I'm not putting myself immediately back into a situation where that can happen all over again if you haven't changed. And so um, forgiveness means you're not going to hang on to it any longer. But, but before you let things just move back to the way they were, it's ter- certainly okay for you to see change demonstrated over time. That's what repentance is. And, and to learn to trust someone again, they need to be sincerely repentant. Um, or, and and if, they, if they want to gain your trust, they will do that. If it's, they, they will care about you enough to say, I understand that, and I will, I will do everything I can to regain your trust, and I understand that that's going to take time. If they don't care to do that, then you probably won't be able to trust them in the same manner again. However, forgiveness is commanded, so you, it's really not an option. And if you don't forgive, you will remain bitter. And you allow that person who wronged you to maintain a certain level of control over your life, which is really frustrating when you think about it. That the person who wronged you is wronging you all the time because you're hanging on to unforgiveness. Forgive them. You just say, God, they're yours. And, and if there's some way for this to be rebuilt, I'm going to trust you to do it. If not, that's really on them moving back towards me now in a safe way, in a way that I can trust. And if not, then no. And that's okay. So there's a lot in what I just said. You can take it in chunks, but that's the idea. And I'm talking about big things now. Little things, you know, really you should just be able to let little things go pretty quickly. But, the, you know, the big things. And some of you have had those big things. I, I get it, but you still need to forgive and, but then you don't have to immediately go back to the same sort of situation. You, you put in some boundaries and those things can be changed over time if someone demonstrates sincere repentance and are willing to do so. If not, then they're really not sorry. Because it's easy to say I'm sorry for a lot of people. They don't mean it. Demonstrating it is totally different. So for some people can't say they're sorry either. So it's a two thing. But words, it's actions and time. All that stuff gets in there. And it's pretty important. Uh, then um, those gifts that Jacob was sending in Bible times those gifts were generally given for several reasons um, sometimes it was a bribe um, you know to sort of try and buy some support and it's possible that he was trying to sort of buy off Esau a little bit and um, Esau refused the gifts at first, um, 
possibly because he didn't want a bribe or need a bribe. You know, it seems like he's already forgiven it and moved past it. Uh, he has ample wealth of his own. Um, but the gifts could have been legitimate as an example of affection. That's certainly something that could have been happened. And um, another thing, it was fairly customary to present gifts to someone before an important meeting. So these all could have been legitimate or it could have been scheming again from Jacob. Not really sure. But, uh, but that was what's going on. And then um, Jacob is commanded to return to uh, Bethel and then to his home where Isaac still lives, Hebron, and, and yet he's going to go here to Sukkoth and then ultimately settle in Shechem. And uh, he was supposed to be a pilgrim traveling in tents, but he builds a house for himself and he sort of settles in and he tarries and he takes some time getting back. And because of his sort of not moving into the things he had, some calamities will take place um, in the lives of his family that may have been avoided. We don't know, but if he had just sort of really stuck to the plan, but he, he kind of, and there, we'll read on it, and we never see, it's not in the Bible where he actually goes back to his brother like he said he was going to. He said, I'll be over there in a while. Doesn't look like he ever went. Uh, maybe he did, and it's not recorded, but you would think that meeting would have gone down again. So he sort of got his way in, and then while they lived reasonably close, we don't read about them sort of hanging out or doing anything closer than that. So anyway, that's kind of uh, the, the highlights of that chapter. Like I said, I think the, you know, the bigger points um, that, that I got from that was that whole idea about dealing with bitterness and unforgiveness and how important that is for us in our lives. So ponder those this week and we will uh, we'll dig in some more next week as we uh, continue to press on in what's happening here. And that's good. If you're watching my video, thank you. Appreciate you doing that. Um, come and visit us when you get a chance. We'll see you soon.